Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Richard Porter. I'm Johnny Smith. And this is Smith & Sniff, a podcast in which two friends talk about cars and this week answer your questions. promised you last week that I would um, tell you the stories about when I was chased by the police. <laughs> oh, yeah. After your, after your bulldozer shenanigans <laughs> last week. Because um, my stories aren't as good as yours. One of them is I, I, it's really stupid as well. I hope there's some kind of statute of limitations on this and we're, we're beyond it. Because the first one was, uh, was me and a couple of mates and we were walking back from, we'd probably been to the pub when we were like 17. And someone set fire to a for sale board outside a house what what are those plastic they're like estate agent boards yeah yeah plastic and they burn like a bastard what with it just with a lighter was people smoking someone had a lighter on them (laughs) and they set fire to an estate agent's board and they go up like an absolute bastard wow and then there was the classic oi and nothing makes your heart race like an oi from across the street. Do you know what I mean? It's just that kind of uh-oh. So somebody's in a quiet suburban road in Alderley Edge, which is like, you know, quite quite a fancy area near where I grew up. And we legged it. And I legged it. I can't remember why I would do this, but rather than leg it down the street, I legged it into the garden of this house and down the side of the house and hid. And then oh. I could hear... Somebody came out of the house oh, whose garden sh- I was hiding in and went to talk to the man who'd shouted, Oi, out on the street. And I could hear them talking. Oh. I think I heard the word police mentioned. And then, sure enough, the police turned up. So, And you were still crouching in a flower bed or something? I was something. still hiding, basically hiding behind a rockery. Oh, gosh. I love a rockery. But yeah, I know. It says, they don't deserve that. <laughs> I ran down the side. There was like it was the garden. It was like it was quite a, a, a big house, and there's quite a big garden. And was, the, the garden just sort of ran down the side of the house, um, and I so I ran into the back garden, right to the end of the back garden, and there was a fence, and it wasn't particularly high because I'm a terrible fence jumper. Uh, even though well, I was 17 at the did time. Did you know oh, this back then? Is this some- oh, yeah, I was well aware yeah. of my fence-jumping limitations, but right, right. I, I leapt. It was, it was a low fence, so I sort of leapt up onto the top <laughs> of it and tried to scramble over. And as I did, my leg got jammed sort of up over my back by a low <laughs> branch. And I was suddenly in this position, I'm like, I'm stuck like a shit cat on top of this fence in what, the pitch uh, darkness. How much, how much noise did the scrabbling make enough noise that i was then panicked that they were onto me and so i i essentially released my own leg from behind my back <laughs> with my hand and as soon as i did i dropped like a stone into the garden of the house behind and so into a bush which thankfully broke my fall and then knowing that now i'd made broke a lot your leg. of noise yeah well it could have done but but i was okay i was unharmed and I immediately thought, I've made so much noise, fence noise as well. They're going to be onto me. So I ran down the garden of the house I'd just fallen into 
and out of their driveway. And of course, I'm on a different street there. I'm on, you know, a block over effectively. And then I did what you did uh, with your escaping subterfuge. I turned my jacket inside out. Of course you did. Of course I think you it was did. a denim jacket. So I, I mean, I, would, it doesn't I wouldn't even have looked matter. like a person with an inside out jacket on, but I felt like <laughs> it because the, the, the jacket inside was a different colour. It gave me some kind of incredible camouflage. And then I, I walked, I think the other thing I did was I got my house keys out and I jangled them a lot. So it looked like I was almost home because nobody who's not almost home would would do that so you know I sort of thought they'll never stop me because look I'm almost home and no one would shit on their own doorstep by setting fire to a for sale sign in their own neighborhood that would be idiotic that because it wasn't my neighborhood the key jangling was clever the jacket inside out was not the key jangling I like because it's like I'm happy to draw attention to myself because I know I'm an innocent man yeah, so would a fine. guilty man do this? Jangly, jangly? Pro- pro- probably, then, but if probably they, not. If they'd have probably stopped not. me, they didn't stop me, but if the, if the police had stopped me, and they did drive past and I did shit myself, but um, if they'd have stopped me yeah. and gone, where do you live? I'd have had to say, I live in the next town over. Oh, I'd no. keys out then. Oh, just like holding my keys. Because I've got... Were you a, pretending I've... to be nearly home so he didn't stop you? Yeah. They, they, but that didn't they happen. Must, they must know the tricks, Rich. I bet they do. They've, They've seen got it all, to they? know the tricks. There's just no way they wouldn't. My other running from the police, and in this case, I didn't even really run. I did a bit of running, I suppose, down the gardens, but mostly it was falling away from the police. I love all this. This is great. I know, it's, but it's a bit. We're setting a bad example. Anyway, yeah, yeah my other, my, the other one where I did genuinely do a bit of running from the police also does actually involve cars a bit more because, uh, again, one night, sort of, I don't know, 17, 18, we'd been in the pub. We were walking, I think, to go and get chips. Of course you were, chips and drinks. Down a street in my hometown that ran round the back of uh, a, a place called Lindo Common, which is an area of common land, heavily wooded with a lake in the middle. And the road round the back of Lindo Common was very quiet and there weren't many houses on it. Oh, it's where people used to smoke weed in metros. Yeah, it would have been that... That sort of, yeah. <laughs> the main thing that road did, it, it provided access to the lane that went to the local tip. Um, uh, but, um, okay. but, yeah, it just had a few, few sort because of, it was sort of on the edge of town, so it was almost like it was just a few cottages, and then, and then behind that it started to get to fields and the tip. So we're walking down there, and we discover a stash of traffic cones and road closure signs. What? Which have been left... Because the following weekend was the Wilmslow Half Marathon and they needed to close a load of roads. Oh, my god! So they stashed all of that ready to start closing roads the following weekend. And you're drunk. Well, this is manna from heaven for drunk 17-year-olds. So we went, what if we just closed this road? So we did. We just put a line of cones across it and we got two road close signs and put, you know, facing opposite directions. So whichever way you came from, you just looked like the road was closed. And then we, we went into the bushes at the edge of Lindo Common and waited. What? You, you, you actually just waited? God, you really had well, yeah, patience. We wanted to see. Wanted to see. Well, yeah, I was thinking, this road wasn't super busy, but it was busy enough that we'd, you know, we knew we'd get, a, we'd get a car coming. And sure enough, car came along, stopped, turned around, went back the way. Come on, we were full of glee about this. It's like, ha, we've, we've just pranked somebody into thinking this road's closed. Brilliant. And so uh, I don't know whether I'm going to tell you my second police story based upon the sort of relative innocence of yours. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm the you're good cop and I'm bad. <laughs> oh sorry, sorry, you're good crim, bad and I'm bad crim if there's such a well, thing. Like a lot of 17-year-old 
drunk stories. I mean, this is ultimately, you know, no harm, no foul, but it does involve a degree of stupidity in terms of not knowing when to quit Mm. because the next thing that happened is a car came along, stopped, and then a car came from the opposite direction and stopped. And so the two drivers got out and we could hear them and went, I thought the road was closed. Yeah, it says it's closed this way. Well, is it closed your way? No. And then they both went, oh, fucking hell. And you could tell they'd figured out what was going on. And one of them must have phoned the police because they moved the cones out of the way. And I think we went back and put the cones across the road again. Once of course you did. How, how drunk were you? Oh, uh, well, you know. Medium? As drunk as we could. We're 17, so we were as drunk as we could afford to get, which, you know, was... Not enough. We used to do that thing where we'd, we'd, you'd have sort of a few pints. We used to drink Boddingtons, and we'd have a few pints of Boddingtons. At the end of the night, the last pint, you couldn't quite afford a full pint of bodies, but you could afford a pint of mild, so you'd have one of those, because it was the North. Oh! Melanie Sykes. Oh, in the advert oh, for Boddingtons, yeah. I remember that. Wearing the white oh. dress. Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. Oh. Filthy so-and-so. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, as we put the cones back across the road, the police turned up and we legged it into the darkness of Lindo Common, into the trees. Straight into the lap of a dogger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't know it. Well, rather than keep running, because I thought that you know they might run after us or release a dog or something, I, I dived into a, a shallow ditch and it wasn't quite as deep as I thought. <laughs> And so, as the police officer started shining a torch into the trees... You were just there. Well, I was far enough away to evade it, but you know there's that (laughs) thing where some animals can compress themselves really flat to get through small gaps, like mice and things like that. I sort of did that. I I, I could feel myself compressing my ribcage as flat as I could go to, to maintain a low profile in this ditch. And the police clearly couldn't be asked to go into the dark tree line to come and find us so they just moved all the cones and the signs out of the way and off they went so we went back and put the cones across the road again with the signs and oh you did it again yeah this is what i mean about oh, not you're... knowing when to quit rather than go oh the police are onto us we we just we went back for more and uh i think the second time the police arrived they had the blue lights on which obviously makes it feel more serious like they're being real police now and it's going to be more than a telling off. And at this point, was this night? This was this was night time, right? So the blue lights, the blue lights really they, penetrate. Yes, through they the, do. Through the through yes, the dark, they do, and through dense woodland. <laughs> and I properly legged it to the other side of the common. We all scattered as well. There probably like seven or eight of us. I don't know. Quite a few of us, and we scattered. Do you still know them all? Yeah, most of them. But yeah, we properly legged it in different directions. And then I took a very circuitous route back to my parents' house as if like, I thought maybe the police were secretly following me. Um, and I, when I got back to my parents' house, two of my mates were there lurking down the side of my mum and dad's house. And I was like, what are you doing? You could have led the police back to my house, you idiots. That's... So that's, those are the two occasions in my life when I've run from the police. Well, I did one in a car and I don't, I don't pretty, I'm not sure I should even say it. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a great. It was. It's mild, but it's still. It's still sort of outrunning the police. Is uh, is outrunning the police frowned upon? I feel like it sort of is. I was. I was heading to um, an event for the Ford Focus RS five hundred, um, which was up at Malcolm Wilson's Rally Place M Sport in Cockermouth, isn't it? Yeah, in Cumbria. Yeah. 
in Cumbria, and I drove. I, I sat. I get off, got off, got up really early, and I drove up there. I booked a Ford Focus RS in to drive there, the five cylinder one in standard mm. form, and thought, oh well, when I get there, we'll drive the five hundred, and we get to go out in a rally car as well, which is quite sweet. Sweet's not a great word, is it, for a rally car? Oh, it's sweet. Sweet, sweet, sweet rally car. car. <laughs> um, but I remember fairly close to that area in the middle of nowhere, I I went to overtake a car on a big open road, really lovely open country road, and then I realised that there were two other cars spaced quite heavily in front of it, and then there was nothing coming the other way. I was in a Focus RS, I thought, oh, just... And I overtake all three in one fell swoop, and I'm, I probably went beyond 70. And then as soon as I pulled in, there was a roundabout coming up, and a police car came screeching round the roundabout, went past me, pretty much did a handbrake turn, and then came, started coming at me. So I just did... I just went for the default trick. I just did left, 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 field. That, that's, that's the rule of thumb. Wait, what? Left, 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 field. That's what I do. So turned left at yeah. the roundabout, uh-huh. drove quite fast, found the first left, <laughs> did another left, drove quite fast, did the next left. And then the first gateway that you can open, I opened the gate and I drove the RS into a field and then I shut the gate and I ran away from the Focus RS. <laughs> and, and, that's what, and that's what I did. I did that on the way to a professional motoring journalist job. Given that last week you told me that you hid up a tree for seven hours to avoid the police <laughs> after you with that bulldozer digger incident, yeah, how long did you stay away from the car before you I stayed away to, from uh, it? I stayed away from it in this instance for forty minutes. But let me tell you how long forty minutes feels when you're just stood, you're just stood in a in a in a woodland area staring at um, a blue Ford Focus in the corner of a field. How far away were you? Like far enough that if you saw the police, uh, you could run. I'd say if it was a slow dog walk, it would be a ten-minute dog walk away from the car. But you kept eyes on the car the whole time, so yeah, that I, if, I mean, yeah, I absolutely, arrived, yeah, I properly Usain bolted it away from the car, Twocker style, <laughs> and it looked Twocker style because it was a Focus RS, and you parked it in a field. I parked it really quickly, neatly in the side at the corner of a field, so away from as the car drove past the field it wouldn't have seen in through the gate it was just enough yeah that's my country mentality uh not proud of it but that's what i did i once again this is in my hometown but not when i lived there i was going back there i once um drove away from the police but in in my defense i didn't know it was the police (laughs) i was i came off the motorway i was going back to wilmslow where i'm from and for no accountable reason, I was in a, a bright yellow Peugeot 306 Cabrio press car. Of course you were. I, I don't know why I had that, but um, I got off the motorway. You come off the M6, and you, the way I would go home is I'd wiggle across the countryside a little bit, go through Nutsford and Mobley, and, and then there's a little sort of cut through that uh, goes uh, across, across open countryside. Do you say Mobley? Mobley, yes. Mobley, okay. Mobley. Mobley! Mobley. It's anyway. No, no, uh, no. I just because I, 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 I know there's there's a lot of lees around that area. El, elderly, wobbly. There's loads because I, I I'm saying there's loads. I can't think of any others now that I've just put myself um, on the spot. Ashley, Ashley's nearby. That's another one. Yeah, there you uh, go. That's one. Well, yeah. I as I 
went onto this cut through that sort of comes off a main road, takes you across countryside, spits you out at the top end of Wilmslow near my parents' old house. And so, and it's one of my favourite roads because when it's clear, you can strop along it. It's got some nice bends. It's got a really interesting bit in it where it goes down into a little stream valley and it's also a bend and it's quite challenging. Um, and it was a lovely evening. I got the roof down in the 306. Oh, I love a, I love a 306 Cabrio. Yeah, they were all right, weren't they, as, as Cabrios go? That was when the French were doing really tasteful Cabrios. Renault mm. 19 convertible looked good as well. Mm, yes. Less. I remember not liking that. But the 306 was quite nice. And it had that two-litre engine in it, which was quite grunty. Yeah. And I'm, on, I'm, it, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that. So... I pulled off onto this cut through, which is probably, oh, I don't know, three or four miles cross country. Um, and there's no one ahead of me. And I know the road quite well. And uh, so, you know, let's have a bit of this. <laughs> no, you've got, you've got to say it way more northwest England than that. Have it. Have it. All right. You know. All right, our kid, let's have it. <laughs> um, and there's a bloke in a Vectra behind me. Of course. And so I started to um, up the pace. V6, though? No. Again, it was like you last week. Didn't get a chance to check the badge. Other things on my mind when it turned <laughs> out that he was an policeman. But at this point, oh, I didn't know. Oh, okay. I just thought, this is some sales rep. He fancies a go. He's yeah. trying to cling to my tail. Yeah. And so I'm upping the pace, upping the pace, and he's 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 lagging back a bit. And then sort of you have to break for some of the corners, and there's a narrow bridge you have to go through, and you do have to keep be a bit careful as so you slow it right down and he's and he's up my ass again so i was like go through there and then there's a long straight i was like right long straight then hard on the brakes so you drop down into this stream valley now at this point he closes up again but then if you don't know the way this road sort of it, it goes uh, round to the right drops right down and then and then it's it's swooping up to the left as it crosses the little stream and as i looked in the mirror as he's coming through that tricky complex and he's gone onto the wrong side of the road you know it's like he's really trying hard and he's made a bit of a mess of it and i thought <laughs> what was he smoothing out the curve bad luck yeah but it wasn't that it was it was cocking it up and i thought bad luck mate and just as i was thinking bad luck mate the little blue lights behind his grill came on oh and sugar he pulled me in and the weird thing was he wasn't actually a traffic policeman as he told me he went yeah i'm not i'm not traffic that, that don't turn me on that no i'm crime all right, but the way you were driving there was irresponsible, all right? And oh. I went, okay, yeah. And, and he went, do you know how fast you were going? I went, look, I'm sorry, I don't. I wasn't looking at the speedometer, and this isn't my car, thinking, you know, actually, I probably shouldn't have said that. He completely ignored me saying, this isn't my car, and just and just went on with, you know, I'm in the could have been someone coming the other way, and there's arse riders and all sorts around here. You shouldn't be doing this. Oh, he didn't fixate on it? Because that's always the first one I get asked if I'm in a press car, and I haven't been pulled very often in my years. But it's usually, is this your car? And you go, no, it's not. And then they go, whose car is it? And you go, oh, it's Audi's car. And they think you're being cocky. They, it gets yeah. the backup. They go, what do you mean it's Audi's car? Well, well, Audi UK own it. And they look at you like, oh, here we go. You know, like they're almost getting ready on the trigger for the radio to radio in for backup. <laughs> oh, we've got a cocky one here. Come on. Yeah, this guy, not biting. And he was only, that's the thing. My reading of the situation, particularly in retrospect, is he did fancy a little bit of a, of a, a you know, a tussle. He wanted a bit. He's a bit of dice dicing with a little with a kid because I was 
23, 24 at this point. He's well, it's a tussler with a kid in a brightly coloured convertible car. And then he's had enough and he decides, oh, now, now I'm going to teach the kid a lesson by putting the shits up him. But I, I have no intention of prosecuting him whatsoever because that would just be paperwork. <laughs> and he's on his own as well. So he's got no colleague with him to corroborate anything. So he just took my name and address in a sort of slightly feeble way that a teacher might if they caught you in the pub on a Saturday I mean, if he put the blue lights on and then I'd floored it away from him, I, you know, I think that becomes a whole different compartment of illegality. But it was still, it was still a bit, a bit squeaky bum for a moment. But yeah, this isn't my car. Yeah, well, the thing is, that was irresponsible. Are you not going to ask? <laughs> I didn't say that. Hey, I've, um, I've got one, two. I've written down four questions from social media for us. I have some questions. I saw. I wrote some down and everything. Quite two, two people on Twitter. Asked direct questions of us in, yeah. in the past few days, and I wrote them down as well because I thought, well, wouldn't that be that? Would seems like a, a, a polite seems like thing a professional thing to do, right? Yeah. Go on, you yeah. um, you ask one first. Well, the one is from a chap called Sam Philpot on Twitter, and it says, "This is good. I like this one. This is your best and worst smelling cars that you've owned." <laughs> and I because. I, 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 because he put you've owned. Because I've been in some cars which smell absolutely terrible, but I didn't own them. So yeah, different conversation. Mm. Although one of them was the person in the car, not the car itself. So that's. Um, but the I'm going to say my best smelling car mm. was um, my Jag XJ40 that I had, the four liter Sovereign, 1990 Sov. Mm. And that's because I had it completely retrimmed in it's something called Norgahide, which is like high <laughs> high high end vinyl. Yes, and, I, uh, I and know Norgahide. You know Norgahide, and it smelt of a combination of that, Maguire's kind of vinyl and plastic valet liquid, and. I don't know, maybe three magic trees. And that concoction in there was just an absolute cauldron. Uh, amazing. I actually really, every time I got in that car, it smelled so clean, almost suspiciously clean, that mm. I quite liked it. And then my worst smelling car by a country mile was the Nissan Laurel. I bought a 1987 Nissan Laurel for 2.4. 1987, yeah, that's right. Is that a straight six in those? Straight six manual. Ooh. Yeah, it was a manual. I'm sure I've told you this story, but I only bought that car on a complete whim because I... There were no trains running back from Nottingham one Sunday, <laughs> and, and, I, and I was really pissed off. And Let's I just, be honest, though. We could fill a 12-part hour-long podcast series with cars you've bought on a whim. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. That's part of the charm of, of it all, I think. But that particular car, yeah, I just thought I, I picked up um, I picked up um, a paper, and it just said Nissan Laurel. Uh, what it was one owner, Nissan Laurel, one owner, six hundred pounds. And the car was an eighty seven. What year was this that you bought it? Uh, Two thousand and four. Oh, was it was it crusty? It 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 had been paint. It was what a white car, and it had been. Someone had tried to body colour all of the plastics, and it hadn't gone, it hadn't gone right. So it had sort of slightly. Um, what's that condition people have where their hands flake, um, flakes of skin psoriasis. their hands? Basically, it had psoriasis of the wing mirrors, the bumpers, the front grille, and a couple of other areas. So it looked way more ill than it was. 
it was actually a very nice car and i bought it off a guy who's who's late it it, it was his late father's and he said look it's in really good condition and it's on the button and it drives really well and he did say he, but he leant forward he went but i must warn you he 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 always had his dog in the car and it does smell of a dog and i kind of went well, how how bad can it be honestly i opened the door i uh-huh. opened the door and it was like 17 rugby players kit bags have been left on a hot radiator oh my god um, <laughs> i mean honestly like I had to squint a little bit when I sat in it. I went, bloody hell. I mean, the upholstery was mint, but it had a cocker spaniel in it every day of its life. And the cocker spaniel regularly jumped in a river and then got back in the car, you know, on the way back from the walk. So it stank. And I bought it anyway, 450 sheets. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, it, and it drove really well, but it stank. Bloody the smell is that was the smell fixed in place. It didn't go as the dog was no longer in it. No, sadly. I mean, I steam cleaned it. I on summer days, I opened all four doors and left them open for like twelve hours. Um, That's what a mate of mine did. Um, One of my best mates at school got a free car when he was seventeen, but it was an orange Ford Capri (laughs) with. You know, a lot of cars of that era and before, they'd get to a certain age and they would suddenly have a black tide mark where someone had applied anti-rust paint over the bodges they'd oh, done yeah. to fill in the sills where they'd gone frilly. So it had a it had a black tide mark around it like a boat. Badly masked. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Because this was, I think, a, a 1984. Five Capri and this no, in fact maybe even earlier, eighty three or eighty four, and it was and this was in nineteen ninety two. So, so no, nobody that cared old, about but that just, car. It just yeah, oh god, worth it. Was, it was given away. It was my mate's neighbour, the old man who lived next door to his family. Uh, I think it well, he was giving up driving because he was he was very old and his eyesight was going, and he just gave away the Capri just went do you want a car and my mate's dad went well yeah because our you know our mark's learning to drive so that would be fantastic our mark brilliant so regional yeah i mean actually uh, his parents quite posh they probably wouldn't have said our mark but i'm just i'm regionalizing it because you this story's set in the northwest um but the old man was a heavy smoker and a heavy smoker of like those old man fags that are, you know woodbines or something that that's just that pure no tar under the age of yeah pure tar they drip the ends drip of those cigs yeah <laughs> don't they <laughs> they're that they're that horrible but maybe that's how he sealed the the sills with black he just breathed out on them and they were <laughs> sealed in tar i can so imagine car, him being like a, a british version of the smoking man from the x-files driving in an orange <laughs> capri with the windows up <laughs> but set in cheadle hume and yeah. um so the car the, the the old man just went no you just take it so my mate's dad just sort of you know walked round next door and, and just had it and just drove it back round onto their drive and my mate got home and was like oh, I can't believe he's actually given us this car and my mate's dad went Mark you cannot drive that car unless you do it naked because I will not have you back in the house after and it smelt so badly of smoke that as soon as you, you even opened the door it made all your clothes smell of smoke forever 
it was that potent. Yeah, so what they, they did all sorts to the interior of that car, including, like you, leaving the doors open, just leaving it sitting there all day for weeks, just trying to air it out. And they finally, it's still, you still got the tinge, but you know, free car is free car. So, yeah, um, yeah. Hard to complain. But yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit stinky inside forevermore. It's funny you should mention a Capri because someone actually asked a question about a Capri. Did they? A chap called, um, yeah, a chap called Four Legs Good. That's obviously not his name. He's on Twitter or at Welford Tim. He's put Capri's. No, I don't think his name is Four Legs Good. Capri's. Cool then, now, or never. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, were they cool I don't remember Capri's being cool at any point where our lives overlapped so I'd like yeah. when they stopped making Capri's 87, 88, yes. something like that 87, yeah 86, 87 yeah. I think so I was 12 then and Capri's by then were really uncool uh, but yeah. I don't ever remember thinking they were super cool in the. Actually, no, that's not true, because one day in villages they were cool in rural maybe. places where obviously trends took a bit longer to switch over. No, do you know I've just remembered something. It would have been nineteen eighty one, I think, when the Capri two point eight injection came out. Yes, and I remember this very vividly. I would have been six, and I was in the back of the car with my dad driving along in his. Talbot Solara it would have been at that point Solara, Solara, I still laugh it's so crap (laughs) and a few cars ahead of us my dad spotted there was a brand new Capri 2.8 injection never seen one before and I remember my dad actually saying Richard look up there there's one of the new Capri 2.8 injection it has fuel injection he said that yeah see my dad was an engineer so he was into all this sort of stuff and this is where my car disease comes from and i remember him saying it has it has fuel injection so the engine works a little bit differently and i didn't really know what he meant but i remember trying to sort of sniff the air to see what I, I, for some reason i imagined in my six-year-old brain i imagined that, that because the engine worked differently that the air would smell different coming out of this capri because it was somehow special and better and i thought that was quite cool that's amazing so maybe they were cool in 1981 they would have been on choke less and uh yeah, I see. I think nineties the Capris were deeply uncool in the nineties. Oh my god! Well, do you know what? Two of my mates 
two of my mates had Caprice as their first cars, and they both got absolutely ribbed, rinsed for it. Yeah. Well, so one. It was this friend of mine, Mark, who got a free Capri from the old smoking man next door. <laughs> free Capri. <laughs> free Capri. Come and get your free Capri. Queer club free Capri. Still not going. Um, my other mate, Brycey, his dad, he was learning to drive. And he was the, f- he was the oldest in our year. So he was the first person to learn to drive because he got driving lessons for his 17th birthday. But both his parents' cars were automatics. Oh, OK. And he wanted to learn to drive manual. And his dad went, well, look, I'll buy you a cheap car. And we were a bit like, your dad's going to buy you a car, you bastard. What do you think he's going to get you, Nova or Fiesta? What, what are you getting? And my, my mate's dad used to drink in one of the pubs in town with a, a, a local used car dealer, and he basically just went in there and went, right, what's the cheapest trading you've got in stock? And this guy went, oh, have I got a deal for you? And it was a, it was a blue Capri 1.6L. Oh, they were so and basic. Were so they? basic. And the thing was, so it was like basic. we gave him loads of shit, but on the <clears> other hand, it's like he passed his test, and then he was able to drive us to the pub and things. So, in fact... The ribbing was controlled a little bit to make sure we didn't piss him off too much that he wouldn't drive us around. And that lasted for, I think, two weeks or so after he passed his test. And then um, he floored it out of a damp junction, uh, <laughs> slithered across the road, smashed head on into the side of a lorry, what? bounced back oh. across the road and into a hedge. And, and that, that was, was the Capri it. dead. Yeah. When did Capri start becoming cool again? I think it's that whole thing of they, 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 they were worthless, they disappeared... And then people started to miss them and went, oh, I haven't seen a cheesy Capri for ages. I've got to speak fairly carefully because my wife's dad had, I think, two Capris. So in their early years, she said that was their family car, which I love because, like, how many, like, coupes do you have as a family car anymore? But Never. Um, you just wouldn't, Never, would you? ever. Just, I mean, never. Just wouldn't. Everyone goes the opposite and goes, oh, God, if they made a car with the entire top lifted off, I'd have that because I've got children. It's easier to get them in. But Yeah, yeah, she had, they had Capris. And, and this was in the early 80s. And she said around about Knight Rider coming out, he had one and it wasn't even black. It was like, I don't know, blue. And all the kids down that road like used to call it Kit. <laughs> which I still think I still giggle because it's like yeah. well it sounds like Kit they're definitely calling it something <laughs> I, I I think they were all Mark II Capris with the, which was the slightly more sorry looking one I always think yeah they're a bit wasn't it they're a bit, yeah there's something a bit damp about those they're just they've got sorry eyes a little well, bit sorry you know the leading edge of the bonnet on those Mark II's and then on the Mark III, Caprice has that sort of chamfer on it, so it, it curves down to um, the, the leading edge. I know about the chamfer. Yeah, I know that about the chamfer. was done by uh, car designer Peter Stevens, who went on to do the McLaren F1 famously and facelifted the Lotus Esprit rather well and all that malarkey. But yeah, he was part of the team that did that car and put the um, chamfer on the leading edge of the bonnet. And even he said, I remember reading once in an interview, that... He thought it was a bit of a crappy feature until the Mark III came along and they put the round headlights in and then it made it look quite tough and aggressive. It's but exactly true. The chamfer over the top of the rectangular lights on a Mark II Capri is cack. Didn't work. Capris just work better with round lights, don't they? Because the, they do. Because the, the RS3100s and all that had the round lights, I think, and they just look so much cooler. They look so much better. Exactly. Exactly. But there's a period of time, I think, in car design when a square and rectangular lights became sort of technically possible and affordable 
and lots of car companies embraced them with gusto even though in many cases they looked a bit shite <laughs> well that that sort of lozenge shape light which the mark one capri had is was shared across so many other cars like the austin allegro or the hillman hunter and you name it it was just a lucas unit which everyone didn't i get the impression nobody really wanted to use it but lucas had pressed the button and gone well unfortunately we've got a factory with 3.6 million of these yeah so they've got to go somewhere lads yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot of those generic sealed beam headlights were made in a factory in the east midlands which was later sold to weetabix oh and for many years weetabix was made there instead of headlights true fact uh well weetabix is currently made in um it's not kettering it's the place next corby, door to isn't it, it called is it corby burton latimer that's what it is which is like a small town next to Corby. Burn Latimer. I always think it I'm sounds... I'm Burton Latimer. Exactly. I used to drive Ford Capris until I realised they made me look like a <laughs> Burton Latimer is the kind of guy who would... Um, he used to do instructional videos. Uh, he used to saloon car race, and then when all that dried up, just did government instruction videos. Police. Oh, that's okay. what. That's who he is. He's yeah, that guy. I... I thought Burton Latimer was a bit more... I'd almost see Burton Latimer as someone who solves crimes and he wears a black roll neck. Oh, he's a PI? Burton Latimer, you're telling me the butler was off duty the time <laughs> the crime was committed? This doesn't ring true. To the Capri! It's product placement. that he It didn't really suit the character, but it was the 70s and Ford were very hot on product placements. So oh, they were massively the hot. Capri Massive. and he had, to, he had to drive around in it. Burton Latimer! At but it was service. not a high. It was not a high end one, was it? So all you got <laughs> so was some, you got, you got you got absolutely got just endless sidestepping at six thousand rpm off the clutch just to induce a little bit of axle tramp to make it look like there was action in the footage. I think one of Burton Latimer's catchphrases was "Blast! They're getting away." <laughs> Entirely based on his one point three liter Capri. Well, single choke car, isn't it? Aren't you going to chase them, Mr Latimer? There's simply no point. <laughs> Resistance isn't futile. Yeah. They they had to, they rewrote, it was one of those sort of Lou Grade productions, like ATV things, and they, they, they rewrote the entire series after the Capri was secured so that Latimer became much more cerebral. And this was entirely to allow him to let people get away tortoise and hare style knowing full well that the crims in a knackered old mark ii jag driving like maniacs would simply crash at some point and he would be able to go and apprehend them at oh, his leisure in okay. the slow capri that but they but they they sort of they rewrote the scripts to accommodate that because originally there were a lot of car chases and then they went oh, it's not going to work is it because of the because the low power the capri in in modern time has become quite cool uh, thanks to Harry Styles from uh, that band that I've just totally forgotten the name of One Direction um, One Direction you've got to be careful how you say that um, I've got a couple more questions here actually um, yes one is uh, from uh, again these are on Twitter Robert Venn uh, hello Robert okay. big fan of your diagrams he asks I found myself wondering whether either of you had driven a McLaren F1 um, and the answer is no I haven't. Have you? No, sadly, I have never. Um, I haven't. Um, I've sat in one. Yeah, I've sat in one as well. Does that count? <laughs> no, it probably doesn't. 
But there's a small chance I will get the chance to drive one in the next 12 months. What? But we'll see. We'll You're see. kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I don't just I don't just spout this kind of stuff on a on a podcast for nothing. But that's no, it's, wow. It's a okay, it's a chance. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that very much. So it's either that or a, it's either that or a Matra Bagheera. Hmm. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's a McLaren F1. Was it the Bagheera <laughs> that was the three seater? I can't remember. Yeah, but not not a central driving position. I think I think maybe they did a prototype like that. But I think the, the it was three seats, but like a multipler where the, the wheel is still handed. That's true. It's still handed. Absolutely. Sorry, Robert Venn. That was a really disappointing answer to your question. But we have answered the question, and that's the it, main it, thing. It was. Yeah, I've got a question for you. That's not. I didn't put it through social media or anything. I'm just going to ask you. Yeah. CVT or DVT? Which one's worse? <laughs> Continuously variable transmission or deep vein thrombosis? Or deep vein thromb <laughs> deep vein thrombosis? Which one is less desirable? And you've got to be honest here. Well, I've I've never had deep vein thrombosis. Yeah. Um, and I <clears throat> but- have driven cars with CVT gearboxes, and they made me want to suffer a restriction of the major blood vessels of the body <laughs> leading ultimately to my death <laughs> so what you're saying is I'm going to call it evens I'm going to call it even. I was going to say I don't think there's a big winner there there's not an <laughs> no, outstanding winner <laughs> okay alright that's great okay, good uh, question though. thanks um uh, another one on Twitter, S. Kennedy asks, uh, having listened to this latest podcast and its brief mention of Bristol's, which we were talking about last week, weren't we? Of course. I was wondering if either of you had ever met LJK Setright. Would love to hear your reminiscences if you did, or even made up stories if you didn't, using appropriately drawn out vocabulary. I'm afraid I didn't. Um, I was a bit young, and I certainly wasn't a journalist when, um, by the time I became in this, got into this game, he was well out of it, I think. So, um, no. I, I, I mean, I can try and make up something. I, I, I don't know if that's a good idea, though. <laughs> you? <Right>. Did you <laughs> yeah. meet him? I never met him, but I spoke to him on the phone. Did you? Yeah, my first job at the BBC doing The Cars, The Star... Oh, what a show. Yeah, they were nice shows, though. They, they were, were good, good shows. On. And I was doing, the very first one I did was about the larder. And yep. it's old school. We had an internet computer in the office. Brilliant. Which is a dedicated separate terminal on which you could go and look at things on the internet. And it was 1998, so the internet was, as one of my colleagues went, it's just CFAX for your computer. So <laughs> there was a lot more old school phone bashing. Which is which is a no bad thing. I felt no, like it's that not. Might, I mean, it's might good. Have a bit of a renaissance. You can get a lot more said in a short space of time. So I was doing phone bashing, and there was a book. I think it was the what's it called the that um, uh, Guild of Motoring Writers. You know that organisation that yes, that, um, you can be in if you're a car journal. Yeah, and in those days they used to publish a little hardback book which had everyone who was a member. It had all their contact details in it. Brilliant. Love and I that. was looking through it, and basically looking through it and going, oh, my God, they've got, like, the home address of all these people I've been reading in car magazines, you know, sort of thinking, oh, my God, because they're kind of superstars to me. You know, they, I treat them as, like, they're famous people. I, I, I can't believe they've got Roger Bell's home address in here. But I mean, sort of now I find that less remarkable because, <laughs> you know, they, they are, in fact, just people. But <laughs> it had Leonard LJK Setwright's details in it, including, I think, his home number, because I rang him. Home. Oh, landline! I just oh yeah, a oh, full landline. Oh, that's great, great. 
Great. So I just rang him up and said, hello, my name's Richard Porter. I'm calling from the Cast of Star at BBC Pebble Mill. And I, I wondered, as a long-standing car journalist, if you uh, remembered much about when the deal was done with Fiat, which led to the creation of Lada and, and Vaz, whatever they're really called, um, um, and, and your early recollections of driving the car. And he was absolutely brilliant. He was charming and he gave me loads of time he just chatted and he, he his recollections you know and, and he sort of gave me some pointers about things they did to the engineering of the fiat designed to make it into the the car that the russians made and um he was absolutely great and it was you know that's the thing never meet your heroes or never even talk on the phone to your heroes but he was because uh, i always i always liked his stuff i found it sometimes a bit impenetrable and i thought sometimes he would possibly slightly taking the piss particularly in yeah. retrospect having read his stuff now you kind of go, i think sometimes he's laying this on thick just because he can it's a bit lavish yeah yeah, 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 yeah. it's a bit lavish yeah, it's, a bit, it's like he's done a few sort of squiggly bits on it unnecessarily um much though but a lot of his writing is really good but um but he was he was one of those people who wrote for car magazine when car magazine was just the best magazine in the world as far as I was concerned and so he was he was still a hero and to speak to him and to find that he was extremely nice and for nothing more than just out of sheer politeness and goodness of his heart he gave me a load of time on the phone to help me out I thought was mega so and I never met him but I spoke to him on the phone and he was great the end brilliant well I can't I can't really add to that um but I think he definitely his work influenced an awful lot of us and uh There'll be other people. Talking of landlines, I got. I'm sure you've got it. I've got Tiff's landline number because Tiff's at home. His mobile phone doesn't work. Oh yes, I'd forgotten about that. So, so when you phone him, his answer machine message says, "If this has gone straight to answer machine, there's every chance that I'm at home. In which case, here's my home number." And you just phone it, and it, him or his wife answers, and it feels like you've suddenly rewound time twenty five years. It's brilliant. It feels intrusive these days ringing people at home, doesn't it, on a landline? Yeah. It's like you, you, it's like you might as well just walk straight into their house without being asked. It's, it's odd. It does. Yeah, it used to be sort of normal that you would do that because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get hold of it. Totally the normal. Um, I was going to say this. There's um, two things about LJK Setright that I was going to say. Is that one, you know, in his later years working at Car Magazine, he used to quite often be pictured in the magazine. You know, they do it. And even on the cover, he'd sometimes turn up. He was at least one issue. He was on the cover. Um testing some luxury saloons and in his later years he used to dress in a very distinctive basically he just sort of like dressed like the chief rabbi where he'd have the full like yarmulke on and and his he had the big beard and he'd wear that vest thing that i can't remember what it's called and and he'd become quite devout to his jewish faith in his later years yeah but what i found out subsequently is that before that he basically used to like to experiment with different looks at different points in his life he would just adopt a look so the full rabbi setright look was a later life thing that he adopted wholesale but in the 70s apparently he used to just walk around wearing tennis kit and and there were other looks that he experimented with as well he was tennis? proper eccentric yeah he used to dress like a tennis he used to just wear tennis whites just brilliant I think someone told me he even used to carry a tennis racket under his arm, even though he had no intention of playing tennis. It was just part of the look. I mean, I I went to run to the sun once in the late nineties, and we, me and my mates, just used to have a competition. There'd be a couple of you know nights out where there's like music in the big top and all that stuff, 
and we'd we'd always try and pick offensive clothes to outdo one another. And on one year, I went to a secondhand in charity shop and found new old stock. I'd suppose it was mid seventies tennis gear, but it was all in one size too small for me. But I bought it all anyway because it was mint, <laughs> and it was so uncomfortably tight and man-made. But I just thought bollocks! I'm, I, I bought it and wore it that most of that weekend drinking scrumpy. It was fun. Lots of and we were riding girls' bicycles that with the folding frames. You know the ones that fold in the middle. Yes. To put in the boot of a car. Well, we, we, my mate brought three of them because he'd found them on a tip and he took the centre pin out of all of them. So you'd have to ride them and the faster you pedalled, the bike started to un, oh my God. unhook. Un, and after, after, after a cluster of cans of cider, this was a very technical ride. I'm, I'm riding with a bending bike wearing full tennis gear. I mean, it's a sight to behold. Luckily, social media didn't exist back then. <laughs> yeah, happy times. Happy. I was going to say innocent times, but not innocent, but happy times. The state of your clackers after that. Jesus. Well, yeah, there was a state of a lot of things. Hey, um, just before we started to chat, I I I got a um, a thing came up on my phone this morning of uh, you know uh, YouTube videos that you subscribe to, and one of them is called VHS Rallies, which I'm sure you've seen. Mm. Old seventies and eighties and nineties rally footage, and the reason why I'm telling you this, one popped up this morning, a nineteen ninety three rally, Kankinen in a Celica with Nicky Greist as the um, co driver, and he's it's on board camera, and he's fully on it with the pace notes being read by Nicky Greist. Is it Greist? Grist. Yeah, I think Grist. I mean, it could be either, but like Jesus Christ. But all right, okay, Grist. Anyway, anyway, um, as I was watching it and. He Nicky was reading out the notes. My phone that I was watching it on, the eBay alert ping went off. Do, do you know the the eBay kind of jingle? Yes. It sort of goes diddle ding, and I it didn't yeah. bring up a menu. It just pinged in the background. And for a second, I thought it was on the video I was watching. And I thought, I thought, hang on. I thought, hang on, Nikki, Nikki and you are, are like mid-rally, mid-stage, really on it, like moments from destroying hedges and Salikas. And suddenly Nikki's phone goes off and it's like, oh, hang on a minute, I'm bidding on something, on a, a, an old Welsh dresser on eBay. I need to quickly put a cheeky bid in. And it suddenly made me burst out laughing. Uh, and then I realised, no, it's my phone. It, those smartphones weren't invented in 1993, so it was just total bobbins. <laughs> Left over crest into tight 95 and up to £75 for Nest of Tables. <laughs> it's a Nest of Tables, exactly what it is. Yeah, bloody Nest of Tables, I hate them. That's probably a good place to wrap things up for this week. But if you like this, we put a new one up every Monday morning. And if you want to see us talking nonsense, we have a, a vast archive of Smith & Sniff videos on YouTube. So go and look at those or have a look at Johnny's Car Pervert channel, which is him doing excellent things on his own. Has that covered everything? <laughs> I think that's 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 pretty good, actually. Oh, and if you like this podcast, can you leave a comment and a, a score? Because... I love reading the comments. They're actually way better than this podcast itself. The comments are good. Yeah, we like the comments. Thank you for your generous and kind comments and scores. And we will see you for one of these next week. Thank you, please. 
Bye. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.